0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The gang returns to give some further thoughts on Rosaria Butterfield's new book, Openness Unhindered. This time they talk about her ideas on Christian fellowship and hospitality. Keep listening at the end of the podcast, where we'll tell you how to enter for a chance to win a free book.
1: Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. Today is part two of our discussion of Rosaria Champagne Butterfield's uh, fascinating new book, Openness Unhindered, Further Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And we talked last time about same-sex attraction, issues of sexuality, the changing understanding of what it is to be a person, what it is to have an identity, and how that fitted into the grand scheme of biblical anthropology. Today we want to zero in on something that occupies less space within the book, but I think is possibly just as important, if not one of the most important things that uh, Rosaria talks about, and that is the issue of hospitality. And I want to start by reading uh, a little section from the book of Deuteronomy. We often think about the attributes of God, and you look them up in your Louis-Burkoff or your uh, whatever systematic theology you favor, And you'll find them discussed in terms often of fairly abstract concepts. It's interesting that the Bible talks about God's attributes in very easy-to-grasp ways. And here is a description of God coming from Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. There you have, if you like, your more abstract uh, attributes. Who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Mm. And then there is this brilliant, I would say sting in the tale, but the, uh, the writer continues. He uh, love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Mm. There you have it, hospitality is an attribute of God, yeah. and it is therefore an imperative for the people of God. And that's what Rosaria focuses on in the, in the latter part of her book. So we want to spend some time today talking about what she says about hospitality and how hospitality could be an important part of the puzzle in negotiating the church's way forward relative to all of the changes that are occurring in wider society. Yeah, it's it's a huge
2: point in her book, as you mentioned. It's a
1: huge point in her first book because it it's is, so much yeah.
2: a, a story, a part of the story of her conversion. Mm-hmm. You had uh, the the pastor and his wife who led her to Christ, and what I love about what surfaces in her her first autobiographical book is that she was won through the means of both clear biblical witness mm-hmm. and loving, generous. Hospitality, mm-hmm. and one of the things I love about that is there's nothing new about that. As you point out, Carl, it just goes back to Deuteronomy, is all. You know, it, there's nothing new um, or, or or faddish about that. It is refreshingly old approach to winning people to Christ.
3: Well, and it's something that she highlights the LGBT community mm-hmm. does very well, and she says. The LGBT community values hospitality and applies it with skill, sacrifice, and integrity. Indeed, I hone the hospitality gifts that I use today as the pastor's wife in my queer community.
1: Yeah. And
3: I just think that is like a punch in the gut to me in yeah. so many ways.
1: And I think it arises out of the fact that the LGBTQ, etc. cetera, et cetera uh, was... A minority group, certainly culturally mm-hmm. a minority group. They had to, pardon the expression, huddle together for warmth for a lot of the time. They needed mm-hmm. to be highly organized and connected just to survive. And I think that's the what the church is moving into now, that we're going to need to be hospitable for our own good. Because to be a Christian in the in the coming culture mm-hmm. is going to be tough. It's not going to be as easy as, right. it, as it used to be. And right. So hospitality is going to become a much more important, uh, important part of life within the body of Christ, as well, as Deuteronomy indicates, without the body of Christ yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Our hospitality is to be outward-looking as well as inward-affirming, right. if I could put it that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Well, and the queer interesting- community...
3: Or go ahead,
1: go ahead. Well, it
2: just, it's interesting that, that hospitality finds its way as one of the requirements for being a spiritual overseer in the church.
3: Right, that, absolutely. That right,
2: right along with, with uh, you know, sexual purity and those kinds of things are hospitality because it's, yeah. uh, it's a reflection of, as you point out, Carl, of the attributes of God. It's what God is like.
1: And something to which all Christians should aspire
2: Right.
3: I think it also points to the doctor and Amanda because, um, as she calls it, the queer community—they looked at themselves as strangers, mm-hmm. strangers mm-hmm. at the gate, as she liked to call it in her last previous book—and that's what she sees herself as now. And so she can invite the stranger at the gate because she sees herself as one of those. Yeah. And sometimes I think maybe we think too much of ourselves, and it's easy to to be hospitable to those that um, are like us. And they make us feel better about ourselves, mm-hmm. or just those that we're comfortable with, and that um, we don't really have to sacrifice very much to yeah. to have over or to reach out to, mm-hmm. and we don't have to challenge our own thoughts about these people.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I I, I think that uh, this this discipline, this this gift of of hospitality, is a great answer to some of the. Uh, the missional talk we hear in the church today, particularly coming out of the the, the reformed ish world, this emphasis on being missional and it 's very difficult to kind of peg it down as to actually what it means the The best I can figure out is that being missional means um, listening to every sermon that Tim keller preaches i think i 've pretty much arrived at that 's what being missional means but but when 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 I've, when i 've challenged a guy in my denomination on on him being very vague in his public statements about gay marriage and homosexuality, his whole justification was, well, we're being missional. We're wanting to reach them. And, yeah. and again, what I love about what Rosaria has been writing is that she puts the lie to the choice between, well, I can either reach homosexuals for Christ or I can be clear about what the Bible says about it, but I can't do both. That's a lie. That's a false choice. And she helps us see that. And I think mm-hmm. that, that hospitality just may be that, that key to navigating... When she how puts in we, that,
3: that legwork.
2: Right, right. To do it, how too. She maintain, makes the pot of soup. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How can we she maintain... She goes out to the
3: neighborhood. ...fidelity
2: to the truth and at the same time, love for mm-hmm. the outsider.
1: Yeah, and I think this points to part of the... A big part of the the way that the church has to move in the the coming climate because you you can fight your legal battles, and they're important. It's important Mm -hmm. that we maintain legal freedoms for freedom of religion. Uh, You can fight your IRS battles as and when they come relative to tax exemptions. And again, they're important because I think they feed into freedom of religion. Uh, But the way you're going to persuade gay people that you're not a hate group I think you're going to do it one-on-one at a local level. Mm -hmm. I think the media are committed to presenting the church as a hate group now. The Orthodox Church Mm -hmm. is a hate group. The only way we can put the light of that is not by appearing on the television and saying we're not like that. It's by demonstrating we're not like that at a local level, uh, such that you know when when they come to close your church down in in the local parish – the local gay community might say, "Well, you know, we don't like their theology. We don't like what they stand for." But those people were kind to us.
0: They're right. not a hate
1: group. They may be idiots, but they're not a hate group. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. I think that is going to be a big part of how we we move forward mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. She gives she gives a wonderful theology of of community and of hospitality there, but she also helpfully, and I really am glad, she talks about some of the things that that her family has done and does to practice this. That's good to read. I mean, it's hard to read in some places because I see, because it's convicting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, but it yeah. was very helpful. What were some of the things that you all saw that, that were most challenging to you?
1: Well, she did mention at some point, I think that when a ministerial friend was in town, her husband actually invited him to a house, Todd, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you were convicted. <laughs> by that.
2: I'm going to put you up in my house for a month and then, and then this discussion will be over.
1: Until he's sick of now, yell. I, it's, it's hard to point to the things I found most convenient. I think the very way she physically opens her territory Right, right. To people. Just come and sit on my front lawn and chat. You know, but she put bring a picnic, a picnic table, table there. In her front uh, yard to. Mm-hmm. Thursday evenings, come and hang out. And in yeah. the door. natural way, she seemed to be, you know, I get self conscious about saying grace in a restaurant. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm natural way she'll open the Bible apparently with just people in from the neighborhood and read a psalm or even worse for me sing, you know, I don't <laughs> mind singing in church I'm going to sing in my home I, I'm embarrassed to do that in front of my wife yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was just very struck by the remarkable openness and I'm sure some of that's down to personality sure. there is a personality factor in what you're comfortable with and, and how well you can do these things but it doesn't mean that hospitality is not imperative for everybody Right, mm-hmm. right.
3: the way that she prays for her neighbors. And I mean, her literal neighbors, because I, so, so often I think we like to generalize, well, everyone's our neighbor, so we can pick and choose. But, um, she quotes Chesterton and saying, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. Mm. <laughs> and isn't that the truth? And we have to love our neighbor because he is there. And she really does that. She puts feet on it. She invites them over for prayer walks for their neighborhood, Mm. (laughs) which that would be uncomfortable for me. I wouldn't want my neighbors thinking I'm some crazy praying woman walking around the neighborhood. But apparently, you know, it's really built a nice community. And and it's not a huge group. But um, how wonderful people coming out their doors. They might not want to participate, but they know they're going to pray for them. Right. So they add their prayer requests.
2: Right. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. As I, as I was reading that chapter, again, one of the things that kept popping up in my mind is that, okay, this, this is what missional is. <laughs> this is what missional is, I mean, you have all of your dumbed down sociology stuff that what we typically read in blog posts about what missional is. what she 's describing there if that 's what missional is then i'm then that 's what we need to be all in on again she doesn't use all of that phraseology, but what she 's describing is just biblical Christian presence among your neighbors. In, in just really remember. down-to-earth ways,
1: Missional is not writing a triangulated blog post. Yes, it's inviting people <laughs> you don't like right into oh, dinner yeah. with you. Right.
3: Well, th- this particularly it shows too in the way that she was won into the faith um, by uh, Pastor Ken and his wife. He invited her over to dinner. She knew that he disagreed with her gay lifestyle, but she said that. He invited her and became her friend, he and his wife. not she wasn't feeling like she was a project to him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think that that is a huge, a huge word right there. Do we treat people like projects mm-hmm. or friends, and sometimes yeah. this language about being missional sounds more like a project to Absolutely. me yeah. than actually making friends? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I, and that's I think what relationship is so important
2: yeah and, and Amy, I think what you just named there is huge because I, I, I think that that. I, th- I think the reason why we end up being really vague about the truth with people who are trapped in sin, rather than being clear with them, mm-hmm. is because we're not treating them like a friend, but like a project. right. Mm. Exactly. Um, this this Ken, this Pastor Ken and his wife. You know, one of the beautiful things about that relationship with her, when she was still in the lesbian lifestyle, is that she never had to question what they thought about her lifestyle. They mm-hmm. she knew. They were clear about what they believed about the truth. She heard his preaching. They knew, but they were also very kind to her.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: because they treated her like a friend, they could be honest,
3: mm-hmm. and they
2: could say. what And she they could- didn't
3: just treat her like a friend. They valued her as a friend. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And mm-hmm. I think that you know she felt that very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you know, and so privately, there's that avenue that she shares which I think is extremely convicting and helpful but then also you know, she's a public figure and um, we were talking before we started recording about how when she speaks there needs to be security present because yep. there are so many uh, protesters and death mm-hmm. threats and, but what does she do she's hospitable to them yep. at the university settings she invites them to a question and answer right s- session which yep. is amazing mm-hmm. so even though we can pick our enemies she still looks at them as her neighbor as well. Right. And and truly I think shows Christian love to them.
2: Mm-hmm. Well and she's modeling that friendship because what she does is that is that she's kind to them but she she's not vague about the truth with them. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Which is what a friend does.
1: Yeah. Right. And it stops you dealing with people as categories as well. And mm-hmm. you know, we yes. can so quickly allow the, the reification of certain things to grip our imaginations and forget that, you know, you're saying that she was never in doubt about what they thought of her lifestyle. Well, no. And that's because of course they didn't see her as coterminous with her yeah. lifestyle. Right. They understood that she was a yeah. human being who probably enjoyed sports, enjoyed mm-hmm. reading literature. There are a whole heap of other things about her right. in addition to what she gets up to in the bedroom Such with a her, her lesbian partner. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, I think having a, a, an appropriately complicated understanding Mm. of human beings is very helpful here as well the world and the media want us to reduce people to simplistic two-dimensional categories but nobody nobody really fits into any simplistic two-dimensional category
2: yeah and if you can treat this person not as quote-unquote a homosexual but as an image bearer of god male or female in the image of god um, a sinner who needs christ Not identified, uh, not defined by any sexual behavior, but defined by their need for Christ. Um, I I think that gives a lot of uh, freedom in the relationship to treat the person as a friend and not a project.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: That's why it was appropriate for her to kind of, I think, close the book with this chapter Almost close it with this chapter on community because it really is weaving all through Mm -hmm. the book. But once she lays out these different doctrines of the Christian faith, then it's, okay, well, let's put feet on it. And this is practical ways. And she even asked the question, how do we create community together in this? Our age of anxiety, phobia, fear and stranger danger, which is huge for me as a parent. you know do sure. I want to invite strangers to my house? I have three children. Um, how do we break bread together when there is a war against gluten raging everywhere we turn? That's another thing I'm very anxious about when I yeah. have people over is, you know, are they gluten-free, or what is, what is the diet?
1: Todd struggles with the same thing. I know those are always <laughs> uppermost in his mind. <laughs> has, Especially nervous it's just about- dis- overly, right? <laughs> I uh,
2: yeah, I'm in a hyperly high glu. Well, we just eat donuts mainly um, for all three meals at our house, and so. But you know, one of the things, I, and I would so encourage Christian couples to read this book to to think through what what would hosp- what does hospitality need to look like in our home. I would really encourage sessions in churches to read this book yes. to talk about. What does hospitality needs, need to look like in our church for small groups um, for ministry groups, deacons um, to be to be reading this to to be asking those questions? What does hospitality need to look like in my home in my neighborhood and in our in our church i think I think churches can can find some really fruitful um, discussion and application
1: It is um, worth this. saying and, and this is not to make excuses in advance, but she sets the bar very high. <laughs> <laughs> not yes. everybody is going to have a house big enough to do this. Yeah, not true. everybody is going to be at that stage of life where they're able to do this or even live in a neighborhood right. where it's possible to do this. You know, you live in a high-rise uh, apartment block. You're going to have to have a different strategy. Yep. Uh, yep. So it is worth saying that, that, that this is a very personal mm-hmm. memoir of hospitality, I think, and not a – the principles apply universally, but the the specific practices. Right. No, I, th- I think the, – the, the, the Butterfields are a remarkable couple for for a lot of reasons. Not least, I think they're, they're incredible hospitality towards just about anybody who walks past their front yard. I have to say, as an antisocial, egregious person, I would find living next to the Butterfields an absolute nightmare. Uh, I want to be I want to be ignored by my neighbors when I go outside because I don't want to have to have conversations with them. This you know, is outside. this is
2: I want to put out the call. If you live in the Philadelphia area. You need to locate the Truman residence and go to his door and insist he join you in singing a psalm. Um,
1: And a dog hug. Why don't we throw a dog hug in there at the same time?
2: I tell you what, if you will do that for me and capture the moment on video, um, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals will pay you handsomely uh, for that moment. I don't know how we'll do it, but we will do it. Why don't you do it the
1: full – go the full trump and hand out my – Cell phone. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very
2: close to that.
1: Amy's already doing that to 13-year-old girls in her neighborhood.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So good point. Yeah. If you live in North Carolina, you know you can put that picnic table in your front yard. Detroit, not so much. But, um, but certainly to try to find ways uh, to make hospitality work in your context. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
3: There's a lot of creative ways, and, and I, one practical tip I like to use is, you know, what do you have in your home that you can use to serve others with? Like for me, I have an espresso machine, and I, it's just a great way to invite people in.
1: I've got, gra- I've got granular coffee, Dissolve all gran <laughs> granular coffee. That is a come and, It's a great way to people out of your Instant house. Nest horrible. cafe.
2: Folger's crystals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just might as well put a stay away sign on your front door, Truman. I
1: know. That's another thought I have. I used to have if a go away. Granular call. <laughs>
2: well, we, uh, we are enthusiastic about the book. Um, we, we do recommend it Openness Unhindered uh, Further Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert on Sexual Identity and Union with Christ by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. It's a terrific read. Um. It's challenging. It's encouraging. It's helpful in more ways than we can uh, really adequately point out. But we do encourage that you get it, that you read it, that you talk about it with your brothers and sisters in your church. And uh, we think you'll find it very helpful for you in that way and many others. So thanks for joining us for uh, Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, and we will talk to you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Make sure to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to enter for your chance to win Openness Unhindered by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Next episode, the gang winds up in trouble outside the puppet master's office, and use this time to talk about the difficult issue of
3: church discipline in the church, um, the lovingness of it, and but then the, the really difficult parts of when it actually comes to excommunication, and then also the the wonderful beauty of restoration when the purpose of excommunication is fulfilled.
1: The hope is that when somebody is going astray, the sanctioning of them within the church will bring home to them the seriousness of the sin in which they are engaged and bring about a healthy gospel, evangelical repentance in their lives. And so the question has come, when we
2: excommunicate someone, I'm going to bump into them.
0: How do I interact with that person? Hear the answer to that and much more next time on Mortification of SPIM. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to enter to win Openness Unhindered. We'll talk to you next week.
1: I know the Rolling Stones had the bad boy image, but the Beatles yeah. I think were probably worse behind the scenes.
3: Mm. In that yeah. something. Uh, so yeah. They yeah. had
1: a fairly carefully cultivated clean image, but I think exactly. they were as bad, if not worse, than the stones. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, they didn't even produce as good a music, so they made better music. Uh Day yeah, in the life music. Day in the Life, I'll grant you. Eleanor Rigby, I'll grant you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hold your hand? Come on. <laughs> so, well that's that was early on. That was early on. The Stones on. never produced a track as bad as Love Me Do. <laughs> even at their wor- even during their worst Ronnie Wood moments.
2: <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I still think Paul McCartney is one of the best melody writers in the history of popular music, pop music.
1: Yeah. Better than Manila. Yeah. Slightly. <laughs> Just slightly. It's not in the melody, it's in the riffs, man. That's where the power comes.
2: <laughs>
1: uh,